everyone said amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for being with us today. And if you're a visitor today, you might be nervous about seeing a communion table here. And I don't want you to be nervous. I want to just mention right up front, we have an open communion. That simply means it's open to all who are members of the body of Christ. You need not be a member of First Baptist Church, but if you have professed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've turned away from sin and to him for forgiveness of sins, you know that you have a living relationship with him, uh, by faith, you are welcome to partake of these elements as they come to you at the close of this service. And I've also been asked to make a, a special mention. Uh, at the end of every communion, we like to make mention of a special offering opportunity, the Deacon Benevolent uh, Offering. And there are a couple of silver boxes at the back of this room. You'll see them as you come in and as you go out. That's a place for you to leave a special offering if you'd like to. And we like to, to receive those at any time, but we give special notice to them on a, on a communion Sunday. And the deacons made a, a, a decision this week. They said if people would like to visit with us individually about what's happening to those gifts, uh, we're able to, to tell them how we're helping folks. So we just want to give you that transparency and approachability. Uh, even if you're not making a gift to that today, if you would like to know, well, what are we doing with those gifts? Talk to any of your deacons, and they'll be glad to, to give you some information about how those gifts are making a difference for people. And as we enter uh, this month of December, uh, we know that, well, need has no season, but December typically is a pretty big month for, uh, for a lot of difficult things uh, for people. We've already begun to experience that even before December started this year. So I uh, just encourage you. Uh, prayerfully consider what you might do for the Deacon Benevolent Offering. You can give to that any time, but we, uh, we make special mention of it on a Communion Sunday. So here we go. We are going to do a three-week series on helping others encounter Christ at Christmas. Uh, I grew up loving Christmas, getting the Christmas catalog from, I don't know, Sears, Pennies, whoever would put one out. They'd send those out months before the holidays, and I would pretty much memorize that thing. I'd go through page after page after page, and my parents never indulged me in a whole lot of things, but boy, I, I always had my, my wish list, and I would just enjoy Christmas and all that went with it, and mom's baking. And, and then as I grew up into young adulthood and had a family and then a church to be responsible for, Christmas, well, how can I put this? I want to be careful not to say too much. <laughs> it became more difficult. <laughs> I don't look at catalogs anymore and what I want to get for Christmas. I'm concerned with services and people's needs and many, many other responsibilities. But I want to say this to the church. It's not about us. It isn't about us. Christmas is something we enjoy and should, but it's a time of year, when, if we think about this, that we should share the gift. We should invite other people to the party. What do I mean by that? Well, we need to share the good news. I think that's a good time anytime to do that, right? But at Christmas time, you have an opportunity that I think goes beyond the normal opportunities of some of the other months of the year. For instance, we have Christmas Eve service. A lot of people come to church only then. Uh, we have two services. Let's see, if I, if I got the times right, they four and 5.30. Does that sound right, Sam? I hope that's right. We'll be here. <laughs> I think those are the times. Uh, we do them every year. A lot of folks will come. I would ask you today, before we touch the message at all, begin thinking and praying about who could I invite to join me for Christmas Eve? That's not a hard ask. People might be going anyway. 
but if they'd probably much rather go with somebody like you that they know and say, well, and then give them some time to think about it. So don't call them on the 22nd of the month or 23rd. Hey, you want to come with me in a day? Uh, but if you think about it now, pray about it now, I would trust the Lord might put many people on our hearts that we could invite if it's just one. That's participating in our mission of win, build, send. They might want to come anyway, but with you they will come, and they'll hear the good news here. We'll share the good news with them. We'll show the love of Christ to them. We've got to help others encounter Christ at Christmas. Well, Art Rohrheim is a name familiar to some of you here, maybe to many of you at this particular service. He was the co-founder of Awana, and he passed away earlier this year at age 99, very early in the year. It was January, so it's been almost a year now. I don't know a whole lot about him other than that God put that man on a mission, Art Rohrheim. The early days of Awana, as the Lord gave him a vision for that ministry, uh, they were humble beginnings with just a few hundred children involved in one church, one setting. But growth of the ministry blossomed over the years through the 1950s, the 1960s. By 1970, a long time ago now, 900 churches across the country participated in Awana. They had clubs, and it's just continued to, to grow. In 1972, they went global. They became Awana International. Here's the best statistic. Today, Awana has a weekly impact upon 4 million children in 100 countries. That's pretty exciting. A lot of you are part of Awana here. Some of you grew up in Awana. You pray for Awana. We love Awana here. Art Rohrheim's vision to reach children with the good news of Jesus is going to continue to affect generations of people beyond his lifetime. It's already happening obviously, because he's home with the Lord. But one of the neat quotes that he gives us I want you to think about today, he said this, how can I not share the greatest news in the history of mankind with men and women and boys and girls whose futures depend on hearing it? I know I've often thought of Awana as a, as a memorization ministry, and of course that's a big piece of it. But if you want to talk to our our Awana missionaries, or uh, Arlen Neese and his wife, uh, if you want to talk to uh, their organization leadership, they'll tell you the front edge, uh, front edge of their ministry is evangelism. They are concerned that kids come to Jesus. The scripture memory builds on that. They're making disciples through that. But they're an evangelistic ministry. And I think his quote is just so appropriate for this short series that we're starting here today. We do not possess Art Rohrheim's precise giftings and we don't have his calling that he fulfilled for the Lord. Uh, and yet, our callings aren't so very different. We're on the same mission. We are the local church committed to winning and building and sending. And so we're not, we're not uh, far apart from at all what he was doing. We just have to find our own unique ways to do it, corporately as a church and individually as people. We can see fruit. We can see progress with the gospel. I think we understand that. Here's my challenge to you today. May we not be satisfied to be private believers who hold on to the world's most hopeful message, who kind of sit on it, just hold it, hold it close, but we don't share it. We never want to become a church that says it's us four and no more. Well, we're a lot more than four people, but you get the idea. Where we hold on to something so beautiful, so precious, so life-giving, and yet the truth is we do. 
if we're honest with ourselves and with our, our life, a lot of us hold on to the, the best news ever heard and we don't say much about it. We're put to shame by non-Christian groups that are willing to go door to door and share their doctrine, which isn't a, a true gospel. I had a visit this week from three different Mormon missionaries that came to my front door. Boy, they were really on the game. They knew what they were there to do. They had a plan and a design, and when I couldn't help them get very far with what they wanted to do with me, boy, they were ready for referrals. And it was pretty creative the way things were presented and put to me, very innocuous, very very suggestive of, hey, we're just the best people doing the best thing, and can you help us do this? And I won't digress too much about that, but I, I turned away, I thought about it, and I went back to my study, and I thought, you know those guys? They're putting us to shame as Christians. We've got the true gospel, but so often with the good news of Jesus, we are afraid or hesitant to share it. But there are people who have a false gospel who have no hesitancies to give their lives to proclaim that to people. Something's wrong with the picture. Something's not good about that picture. Now, there's more ways to share the gospel than going door to door, but are we using those? Are we investing our lives in those? Numerous people are far more committed to spreading a false gospel than Christians are committed to sharing the real one. And it's been suggested that there are four major reasons that Christians don't often spread the faith. Credit John Stott for these four. He says we have, one, no compelling reason to try to speak. In other words, an incentive. We need incentives. We don't see an incentive to do it. Today's message is going to give you a few of those. Number two, we do not know what to say. That's a common, a common uh, statement. I don't know what to say to people. And I say to that, do you have a testimony? T share that with them. It's pretty hard for people to argue with your testimony. Not that you should argue with them, but the truth of what God's done in your life, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, is the truth. You can share that with love, with hope. In fact, the Bible tells us to always be ready to give others a reason for the hope that is within us, to let our speech be seasoned with salt. Thirdly, he says, we're not convinced it's our job. Sometimes we think, oh, it's just the preacher's job or those guys that went to seminary to share uh, the good news. Art Rohrheim never went to seminary. Uh, he's reached more people than some of us will ever reach, really any of us probably all put together. Uh, it's not for the specialists. It's for everybody. Good news is for sharing. And then fourthly, Stott says, we do not believe we shall do any good. We sell ourselves short. We just say, well, I'm not fluent enough. I'm not good enough. I'm going to get a question that will stump me. And, you know, we can be real. We can be honest. We, there's fears with, with sharing the good news. And, frankly, it's messy. Frankly, it's, it's even kind of dangerous at times because it can bring uh, persecution. It can bring un, unwanted uh, uh, rebuttals. It can do a lot of different things. And so it's so easy to kind of count ourselves out, isn't it? And yet I say this to you, my friends. Let's be a church that's truly like an army of love that shares the good news with our everyday lives with other people. Now, before you even share it, you need to be good news. What do I mean by that? Well, the good news, the gospel, it means good news. Euangelion is the Greek word that you find about 100 times in the King James Bible. Euangelion, it's the gospel. And God used that word to, to communicate to us that it is good news that he comes to give to this world. And before we share it, it's important if we know it, if we've, in, if we've received it, it's important for your life and mine to be good news. Does that make sense? In other words, if I'm going to talk about Jesus, hopefully there's something in my life that uh, points to Jesus. Now, not, not, 
Non-Christians aren't looking for perfection among Christians, but they're looking for some consistency. I had a real honest brother uh, recently tell me, he's a, he's a really active fellow here at the church, he said for a long time as a Christian, he was very backslidden, didn't have anything to do with God, and his life, he said, was a walking contradiction to anything spiritual. He said, in fact, uh, one day at his job in the oil field, he was wearing a shirt that had some kind of a, a Christian message on it, and a person walked up to him, a coworker, and he said, until I saw that on your shirt, he said, I'd have no clue you're a Christian. Are you? You know, because they just didn't match. And he said, Kent, it was a really good rebuke for me. His life wasn't really good news. And so when he even had something on his shirt that sort of pushed people that way, they were like, no. <laughs> so is your life good news? Build your spirit up with Jesus every day and good news will flow from you. It will. We're alive in Jesus. We have the very life of Jesus in our, in, our, in our being, and if we are growing in our spiritual walk, people will see Jesus. That's why Jesus said, let your light so shine. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are an ambassador for Christ. Don't sell yourself short. And the world isn't looking for perfect Christians. They're just looking for Christians that take their faith to heart, that maybe don't take themselves too seriously, but they take God seriously. And there's fruit in their lives. There's evidence of it that we may not even be aware of, but people see it. A gal at a grocery store stopped me once, and she shocked me. I was just paying for my stuff. She goes, and this is kind of humbling. It's kind of embarrassing to tell you this, but she goes, I don't know you, she says, but I got a feeling you're kind of somebody important. <laughs> I laughed. I said, no, I'm not, but I know somebody who is. <laughs> and it was a conversation starter. You know, there are split-second opportunities that we get with people. Are we going to grow in boldness? Let's pray for boldness to to point people to Jesus when those opportunities come. Well, some of you are saying, when is he going to move the slides here? All right, here's one. Uh, John chapter 1, the prologue to this great gospel, is so huge and important and rich and profound that as I worked through the message preparations this week, I thought, oh, I can't do justice to this uh, in this sermon. So I'm going, to, I'm going to be doing more with John chapter 1 for Christmas Eve. I'm going to just, boom, I'm going to develop a message like I've never found the ability to develop, and I'm going to bring that out on Christmas Eve. So today, we're just going to interface a little bit. Don't think we're glossing over. We're not. This is the setup for Christmas Eve. But John chapter 1, I'd encourage you to be reading it in these days. Look at uh, just one word for it, John 1, 4, or one verse rather. In him, John declares, and he's speaking, of course, of Christ, who is identified as the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's speaking about the eternality of Jesus Christ. And he's bringing Jesus from eternity, from his eternal existence, and, and saying he's been manifest to us. We have seen him. We have touched him. He says in verse 12, to all who have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. But that's verse 12. Verse 4, he says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Focus on that verse for just a moment with me this morning. David Needham said this. I'm going to put it up here for you. Jesus could look a man or a woman straight in the eyes and say, I have come that you might have life. They thought they were alive. Don't people think that today? Why do I need Jesus? I got a job. I got a life. I got this. I got that. Jesus said they were wrong, but they, weren't they doing everything live people were doing? Eating, walking, loving, dreaming, planning, working, yes. Yet the Bible says, in him was life. 
People are going through life, many people, thinking that this life is all that there really is. And if they have a faith at all, it's maybe just an ethereal idea that God's out there somewhere, but he's not really too concerned about my day-to-day -day life. The truth is, people who think that they're alive are dead. They're dead spiritually, and they're headed for a, a death in eternity that is beyond anybody's ability to comprehend. Without a relationship with Christ, people are never fully alive. They're dead and they have no real hope, certainly not hope beyond this life. Do we see the plight? Do we, do we accept that's true? Jesus looked straight at people and said, you need me. He looked at religious people and said that. Luke chapter 13, verses 3, verses 5. Unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. He said that twice to the most religious people of the day. He turned people to see their need of him and, of, and, and, and who he is and why he came. And now he calls us to do the same thing. Friends, let's get some boldness. Let's get some courage. He calls us to look people straight in the eye and say, you need to see what Jesus has to say to you. You need to see the life that he's offering you. Can I encourage you today to, to find that courage if you don't have it already and see your responsibility to share Jesus with your life and with your actions? Yeah, I want to pause and ask you this. If you're a Christian here today, you are one because somebody took the time to tell you about Jesus, right? You probably know who that is. I hope you do. I hope you remember it was a Sunday school teacher or it was a friend, it was a relative. Somebody took the time to tell you about Jesus and you came to that point of confession, openly confessing your need of him and you put faith in him. Now who will you tell? Isn't that just turnabout is fair play? Isn't that kind of the way it should go? If somebody shared the good news with you and you responded and said, that is good news, my life's different today because of Jesus, well then it, it's incumbent on us to say, I need to tell. I need to tell other people. I need to take that to heart. The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian believers, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade men. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. It's a great passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There's a lot in there, including this verse is very critical. We are Christ's ambassadors. He wasn't saying that's just true for the Corinthians at that time in history. That's applicable to us today. So like it or not, you are an ambassador. Like it or not, you're representing Christ. And so do it well. Do it well. Do it with joy. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. That's a little bit exciting, exhilarating, and frightening to me to think God is alive and at work in me to, to bring the good news to other people. And I just sense a, a, a little bit of apprehension about that because I know of my own inadequacies. I know of my own struggles with that. And yet the truth is the truth of his word. He says, I can use you. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be you. You have to let me work through your life. Paul goes on in the same passage to say the love of Christ compels us to do what we're doing. So he appeals to people to be reconciled to God. You know, when I'm walking with Jesus in my good days, when I'm really in tune with him, the love of Jesus is really compelling me. When I'm not walking very closely with Jesus, when I'm not feeding my mind spiritually, when I'm not doing much in prayer, when I'm not really in fellowship with other Christians, close fellowship, when I let my life just kind of coast along spiritually, I'm not too compelled by the love of Christ. 
Oh, I like the idea of the love of Christ. I love the fact that he saved me, that his love is real. But I'm not too moved by it to bring the good news to other people because I'm just caught up with other things. But our priority to, to obey, to share the good news, to be obedient with that, is, is, it shouldn't be just duty, but it should be out of love. And God does that in us if we walk with him. His love compels us, the Bible says. We don't have to think ourselves up to, oh, i got to be a good ambassador. Oh, i got to be dutiful. Oh, i got to do this. You are that as you walk with Jesus every day. You are his ambassador. And it will, his spirit will flow through you more and more naturally. It doesn't mean you don't have to be intentional. But I'm just saying he's at work within you to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we need some incentives. We need incentives to motivate us to obey the sharing of the gospel, friends. And there are many of those in Scripture. One of them for me is this one. Scripture promises a day when humanity will meet divinity. Everyone will meet divinity. You have the great white throne judgment picture of people meeting God in Revelation chapter 20. You've got the, the accountability of believers judgment in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We're all going to give account for our lives. And it's incumbent upon us to help people prepare for that day if they're not prepared. You know, think about the progression here. First, God sent his son to seek and to save that which was lost. Those are Jesus' words, Luke 19.10. Then he sent his spirit at Pentecost. He said, wait in Jerusalem till you've received power from on high, and you shall be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, and to the ends of the earth. So he sent his son, he sends his spirit, and now he sends, you know who? His church, us. He sends us into the world to announce what he has done in Christ. We announce the Savior. Jesus announced himself, we announce him. His spirit enables us to announce to the world him. God worked through Jesus to achieve mankind's salvation. God now works through us to make the achievement of Jesus Christ known. That's why the Apostle Paul would say again and again, I proclaim Christ crucified. That's my message. Seems so simple. It seems like, like foolishness and ignorance to other people, but that's the message. I proclaim what God has done in Jesus Christ, that he has sent his one and his only son to give his life up, to be a sin payment for everybody who will put their faith in him. And so we need some incentives. And so I encourage you uh, to, to think about your incentive and do it with compassion, first of all. Share the good news of Jesus with compassion. We know that's a given, right? We shouldn't share the good news with the turn or burn kind of thing. You turn or you'll burn. I'm going to the sky while you fry. I don't think that's the way to win people to Jesus. It might be kind of funny. might be pretty hurtful. Use compassion. God's given us compassion. And Jesus is our example. Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. Maybe I'm up close to it a lot as a pastor, but I see a lot of individuals struggling with great distress in their lives. And so often, it's because a relationship with Jesus is missing. And so life is really difficult. There's not a lot to hold on to if, you don't really, if you're not living by the truth of the revealed word of God. 
if you don't know the Savior that God has sent. And it breaks my heart to see the pain when I look around and I, I have compassion. And all I know to do is to bring them the good news. I mean, there's physical needs we have to often meet. There's different things we can do in the, that are very simple and tangible in the here and now. But if people don't see the, their need for Jesus, they keep trying to solve life's problems with other means, and they never work. Or the temper, their, or their Band-Aid kind of things. We have the gospel to give to them. And if Jesus comes into a life, then they have life. They have power and ability to cope with life at a whole new level. Goodness, do we need to be people who see others with, with eyes of mercy. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, for they shall obtain mercy. Let us see humanity with compassion. Let us get over the discomfort things. And one of the things about evangelism is it's kind of messy. If you're going to be, go, grow, go to the next level of this with your life, to be a growing person who shares the good news through your life and with your words and actions, you're, you're going to get into some messy situations. You just are. I'm going to be upfront with you about that. You're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to run into things that you didn't expect. And you know what? God will meet you in those moments with, with grace, with help. A, a dear fellow that came to faith through the ministries of this church years ago as a new Christian was growing, growing like a weed, a good weed. He was a Christian weed. He was a great guy, is a great guy. He was at his workplace a couple months after he came to faith, and it was, I don't know if it was one of his, his clients or a coworker. I think it was a client who came in, and she just t called him by name. She said, I've seen so many changes in your life. Tell me what's going on. And he shared his testimony. New Christians seem to lead a lot of people to Jesus often because they're just alive, and they haven't, they haven't got all hung up yet on different things that would keep them from sharing their faith, and, and they're alive. He shares his testimony, and she wanted to respond and to receive Jesus. And so she said, will you help me do that? And that just caught him off guard. He says, uh, he'd never done that. He says, you know, it was on a Saturday. I wasn't here, but he was trying to reach me, and I missed his messages. And I caught him a day later. I said, what was that about? I'm sorry I wasn't available when you called me. He said, well, he told me the whole deal. This gal was interested in knowing how to trust Christ, and I didn't know what to do. So I told her, I'll call Pastor Kent. <laughs> and you know what she said? I love this. She goes, I don't know Pastor Kent, but I know you. Will you help me? And he did, and she trusted Christ. You don't need the specialists. You have what you need to be faithful, to obey the sharing of the good news. You have it. And if we can help one another along, great. But isn't that exciting? I just was thrilled. And it, it gets me off the hook, too. I can't go. I don't know all these people. I only know a few people. You know people I'll never meet. And so, but with compassion, we grow into this task. And we, we do it, I think I've already hinted at this, with a real awareness of our imminent accountability to do this. It's obedience. Out of love for Jesus, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. One of the great commands of Jesus is the Great Commission. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so we, we, we have accountability here, and there are a plethora of verses. I listed a number of those for you on the inside of, of your outline today. So some of those texts are right there. I won't unpack all of those except let me mention 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 2a, the grammatical construction of that in the original language is, suffice to say this, 
It says Jesus is coming soon with an urgency, and he's going to judge his people. That's what it is. It echoes the, the sense of you're accountable for this, and I'm coming soon to see how you did. I'm not going to play with that. That's what it is. That's what it is. We need to see the urgency of our uh, accountability to be faithful here. It's really not an option. If we exercise the, quote, option to not represent Jesus to others so that they might see him and come to know him well, I, I really think that is classified as disobedience. It's disobedience. And we're accountable for what we, what we, what we know, for what we have, for the good news that we have to share. Paul said to the Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Well, then we do this with, with confidence because the gospel is the glad tidings or good news of God. People on their endless quest for happiness, and I believe that's deep within the, the breast of every human being, is a desire to be happy. We'll never find, they will never find, we will never find true happiness apart from our creator. Now, we know that. And so we have the good news that God is not angry with humanity. He has signed a peace treaty with them with the blood of his own son. And all they need to do is see the gift of what Jesus Christ has achieved for them, accomplished for them, confess their sin, turn to him in faith, and, and receive Christ. And they'll know a happiness they never knew in this life not to mention eternity. Friends, I love the fact that God has chosen to use a word that means good news. To refer, he refers that to the gospel, euangelion. It's, it's good news. Now, if it's God's good news, it's the best good news you could ever hear. Is that not, does that not make sense? I know it does, right? If there's good news you, you hear now and then in life, not a lot, but as soon as you get good news. But if God says, here's good news, that's superlative to any kind of good news that you could hear about anything at any time. It's the best news. And it's the news of forgiveness available through his son's life, death, burial, and resurrection. The life that Jesus offers. So we have, can have confidence. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. When we declare the truths about what Jesus did for humanity... His power goes with that. His power is in, the, in the, is, is in the room. It's in the message. It's in the words. When we preach Christ crucified, you don't have to be, a, again, a pastor to do that. You can say simply to somebody you know, that you love, that you care about, that's open to hearing from you, here's what Jesus Christ did in my life. And, Jesus, and then you tell them when you, when you put your faith in Jesus and you challenge them. Maybe use a verse or two would be very helpful. Jesus says, to all who received him, to them he gives the right to become children of God, John 1, 12. Or there's just, the scripture's full of, of, of places to go here. But as you do that, as you embrace it, here's the, here's the encouragement, you're not doing it alone. You're not persuading humanly anybody to follow Jesus. Oh, there's a human element of influence, obviously. God speaks truth through people. His truth through his people. But he's the one that saves people. We don't save anybody. And he never lets us down. His power never fails to show up when we share the good news. When we share the good news with somebody, that doesn't mean they're going to respond right here and now and say, oh, am I glad you told me this? I've been waiting. And you filled in all the gaps and I want to trust Jesus. You're going to see that on occasion. But many times you're just one 
cog in the wheel. You're one part of the process where the Lord is using 15 different people to bring a person to that final step of faith. And if you've done your part and I've done my part and someone else has done her part, people will come to embrace Jesus. I'll get up in the morning for that. But there's not a lot of other things that are really worth getting up for. <laughs> but eternity, seeing people's futures changed, seeing hope come alive in broken hearts, I'm in. We're in. That's our mission. That's, that's the co-mission. Let's do it with confidence in the glad tidings of God. God shows up in those conversations when we speak for him, when we speak to others about him. And so we need to then also be careful to do all of this with patience, remembering that sharing and really the whole evangelization of a heart is a process. And I think I was more or less just alluding to that. Do that with patience. Don't think you have failed. If you leave here today and somebody you care about very deeply that may not have a relationship with Christ uh, opens up to you and you share something about your faith with them, don't be dismayed if they don't just boom, respond immediately. You've been faithful if you've just had that conversation. And maybe if it's time to challenge them to take the next step. Maybe you need to get back to them. Maybe you need to give them a book. There's some tremendous books uh, on apologetics that explain the reasons for why, it's, why, it's, uh, why Christianity is, is true. There's so many good things that you can give them. I'm actually, for this series, gonna have a few of those available for, for very little amount. But if you, wanna, if you really wanna help somebody who's got real questions about faith, give them a resource. Say, I want you to read this and talk about it sometime. You don't have to have all the answers, but you can supply them with resources. You can say, I'm glad you're asking the questions. You know, I'm not I'll have to get back to you on that question. Or I can give, give you something to read about that. Would you be willing to read it? So many good ways that we can let our lives uh, patiently share the good news with other people. It's so exciting. God's spirit is the one who has to work through the long process. He is the one, according to Jesus in John 16, who brings a conviction of sin. I don't want to convict people of their sin. I want Jesus to do that. I want his spirit to do that. Jesus says when he has come, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Again, that's John 16, 8 through 10. He will give people a greater true vision of Christ. They need that. They should follow Jesus, not because I do, but because he calls them to follow him. He gives people a vision of himself. And the Holy Spirit brings conversion and regeneration. Before we come to communion here in just a, a moment, I want to share with you uh, something kind of exciting for me. You didn't know me before I came to you 24 years ago. I've been a believer for a while then already, but when I came to church here to serve here way back in the mid-90s, I think that part of my life, when it comes to what I've just talked about, sharing the good news, I had allowed that to really go somewhat dormant. I'd been training in, in, for ministry for quite a while, and I was into the study side of life a whole lot. Uh, I just had, it's not like I didn't think evangelism was important, but it just wasn't front and center in my life at that time. And it was serving under my predecessor, Lou Petrie, that reignited it. And I got, to, I, got my, I got my got my vision back. I was reawakened. The fire came back to see the joy of people coming to faith and to see that this is the big piece of why we're here. We're here to make disciples, and before we can teach them anything, they have to know Jesus. I was reawakened 
This church has done a lot for me. I hope I've done enough for it. But one of the many things it's done for me is it's reawakened me to having a vision for sharing Jesus Christ. And I'm going to appeal to you today that if you're, if you're maybe you're, some of you are like me, like I was long ago, just kind of quiet in that area, dormant. <laughs> you believe in people winning and building and sending, but you say, good for them. I don't know if I'm really going to do much of that. Maybe feel the guilties. Maybe you're past feeling the guilties. You're just going to let it go. Pray that God would reawaken you to your opportunities to touch people's lives with the good news. If his life is alive in you, you have, you have what you need to do this. Good news is for sharing. May you do that. May I grow in that. The Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel, the euangelion that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins. He gives us the gospel. Here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the essence of the gospel message. We proclaim Christ, who he is, what he did, why we need to respond to him in faith. May we continue on the mission that we're on together, friends. May we see a boatload of people in eternity someday because the church was faithful to the win, the build, the send mission that God has given us. Father, thank you for this day. We celebrate not only the birth of Jesus, but the life that comes to us through his life, his birth and his, his death for us, his resurrection for us, his promise to call us home that we would reign with him. Lord, this is all so, so lofty and high and true. And might we see the urgency of the moment that we live in to embrace this world with, with Jesus in ways that we can do it, in ways you might call us to, even today. Might we make a decision today and say, Lord, reawaken me or take me where I'm at with this and, and awaken me, renew me so that you can use me. May I share Christ, not only at Christmas time, but in all the seasons of life. Oh, by your grace, Lord, would you, would you make that happen in our hearts? In Jesus' name, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thank you. And I'd like to invite our deacons who are serving a communion to please come. Those of you who are assisting, we again have an open communion. You need not be a member of our church, as we've mentioned. But we would ask that you are certain in your heart and in your mind that Jesus Christ is your living Savior. If you're not certain today that you've made that step of faith, we would invite you to allow the elements to pass you by today, but with a sincere hope that one day very soon you would say yes to Jesus Christ. Maybe today we'd love to visit with you and to show you from the scriptures how to begin a life of faith in Jesus Christ. We have two elements that we'll be passing around to you today. Uh, as, you, as the tray comes to you, make sure you take both cups. There's one on top of another. The bread is in the bottom cup. So if you just make sure you have both cups, separate them. Take the bread out and hold that until we've all received it so that we can take it together. And I'd like to invite Steve to give thanks for the bread, which symbolizes the broken body of our Lord.